We are in the middle of our psalm song series where we're taking regular songs that we hear in today's day and age, and we are making a connection with what God is telling us through Scripture and trying to tell us in a message and help us to grow our lives. Our worship team has been absolutely killing it the past couple weeks, and they're going to do so again. Please enjoy.
Brandon Vineyard. That was awesome. Wasn't that great? Way to go killing the... I'm, I'm short, but I'm not that short. Sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, if you guys know me, if you don't know me, my name is Michael Burris. I'm so honored and I'm so excited to be able to teach this morning. Um, Pastor Joe and Janice, as James, uh, a.k.a. John said, whatever he's going by today, Pastor Joe and Janice are uh, away on a weekend destination wedding, and Pastor Joe has asked me if I would come and get up here and share the word that God has put on my heart. Um, And also, before we get started, I just want to say, if you are new in the building today, if you're new to us, uh, welcome to you. I hope that you all just found an awesome experience walking in, that you're going to enjoy today's service, but mostly that you're going to encounter the presence of God. And also, I want to take a second, I want to look into the camera and say, if you're watching online, welcome. We're so glad you're part of our church family that you're watching today. And I'm going to invite you today during today's service to engage from where you're at, so at any point during the message, feel free to post any questions or any comments down in the chat, because there are people there that are manning that, and they are ready to talk with you. So if you don't understand what the heck just happened, you're kind of sitting there wondering, how does Bon Jovi relate to Jesus? I just kind of want to share the vision behind this. We are in week five of our series, Psalm Songs, and we do this every single year, every single summer. It's really fun. And what it is, is we take a song that may be popular, that's a radio song, and we, we play it on a Sunday morning, and then we take a psalm from the Bible, and we relate them to itself. We take a popular song, and we use it as an illustration for some kind of biblical truth. Because that's exactly what Jesus did in his ministry. He took something that the current culture could relate to, and he turned it in a way to to talk about a truth of the kingdom of God. So we're taking all of our cues from him. And so the hope is that next time you hear that song, Living on a Prayer, while you're riding down the road with your windows down, blasting it, your hair going everywhere, because how can you sing that song and not have hair going everywhere? Next time you're blasting that song, you're going to think about this message And you're going to think about the things that God has spoken to you through Bon Jovi, living on a prayer. All right? So our text today, if you want to go ahead and flip there, is in Psalm chapter 143. If you want to go ahead and flip there. If not, it's going to be on the screens also. Um, This psalm is written by a guy named David. He's the really famous guy that you hear about mostly because he is the guy that killed that giant with the sling and the stone. And he was also made to be king over all of Israel. All right? And uh, the, the thing about David, though, is he, he didn't just stop at a king. He's also a very talented um, songwriter and musician. And a large chunk out of the book of Psalms was written by him. And all that a psalm is, when you see that word psalm, all that is, is it is a spiritual song, okay? And so when David wrote these songs, he would use his life experiences as kind of um, inspiration for the psalms that he was writing in the moment. And I don't think that David would, uh, was sitting there when he was writing it saying, you know what, thousands of years from now, uh, they're going to teach this um, at the Vineyard Community Church. And we're going to learn some biblical truth from it. No, I think, I think mostly when David was writing these out, it might have even been therapeutic for him. Um, you know, like some of us, when we're stressed, uh, we journal. Um, David chooses to write Grammy award-winning songs. It's great. Just uh, get on his level. So uh, in, in one of his moments of despair, 
David writes this Psalm 143, and that's not like the title of the psalm, just to let you guys know that. He didn't write this and be like, ooh, cool song title for this would be Psalm 143. No, that's just the way that it's organized in our Bible. So when he's writing this, let's start in in verse 1. And it says this, Lord, hear my prayer, listen to my cry for mercy, and your faithfulness and righteousness come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. And I'm so excited. Guys, I'm so excited to be back in the building. Like, uh, I don't know. I guess you guys are too. Um, Those of you watching online, I can't wait for the moment that we can join all together when all this is behind us. But I am so excited to be back in here. It felt like forever being a part. It's so crazy how time feels like so slow when you're doing something that you don't enjoy. (laughs) Like they say time is quick when you're doing something you love, but time is so slow when you're doing something that you really don't enjoy. But actually life was pretty good for for Cassie and I. We took uh, this whole isolation distancing thing as a blessing for us and we were able to kind of refocus our lives. We were able to slow down. We realized that we were running real hard and getting stretched real thin. You guys ever been there before? We were running real hard, getting stretched real thin, so we took this as an opportunity for us to slow down and refocus on our priorities, and um, we were able to hear from God and hear some of the things that He's got for our future from Him. Um, And so we just really tried to make the best of our situation, and honestly, it was a lot easier in the beginning, right? Like before you got really fatigued about staying inside. Like at first, I'm going to call you out because I felt the same way. You're like, this is pretty cool. I don't have to go see anybody. Like I can stay in. I don't, I don't even have to shower if I don't want to. I can stay in. I'm working from my desk. I'm going to turn that little video chat off on Teams. Nobody's going to see my crazy hair. And it was kind of like a blessing. But then it started getting a little bit tougher, right? And, and for me, my first uh, thing that I, that I always resort to is I start complaining, like, about stupid things, like, this water's too cold, or, I don't know, actually, I've never complained about the water being too cold, not at all, I just lied, I'm so sorry, Um, (laughs) but I just start sometimes complaining, and it feels like I'm just complaining just for the sake of complaining, you guys, you know, I hate when other people do it, right, but, but for me, it just kind of, sometimes it, it fuels me, and, um, so don't kill me, don't kill me for saying this, okay, but honestly, Psalms, like the book of Psalms, is not my favorite book in the Bible. It's not my favorite one to read, which is kind of crazy to some of you maybe because you know that I've been involved in worship ministry for my entire adult life, and why would I not like a whole book about worship songs? But I, MJ, don't fire me. Um, But I really, it's not my favorite in the Bible, and I'll tell you why. So, all right, you got me. There may be some bangers in there, all right? There may be some real good songs, but man, most of the Psalms, if I read them, are just David like griping and complaining. I'm just like, you're the rest, dude. So I have this personality trait, okay? Like I'm working on it. Uh, cut me some slack. I've got this personality trait. I tend sometimes to be um, a, straight, a straight shooter and a 
occasionally, just occasionally, it may come off as harsh to some people. So listen, I told you I was working on it, okay? Don't look at me in that tone of voice, all right? I'm working on it. And so um, occasionally I come off as, as kind of harsh, but when I read the book of Psalms, I'm reading what David has to say, and he's like, uh, blah, 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 I'm, I'm so sad, blah, 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 God, can you just do something about it? And I want to shout at him, David, suck it up. You probably did this to yourself anyway. If you ever read the Psalms, you know. David probably did it to himself anyway. And, um, but I love to commentate on the Bible, by the way. And I love to tell the people in the Bible like how much of a better job I would do if I was them. You guys ever do that? Just me? Cool. Um, but, but really, like the complaining, man. It, it just gets out of hand. Give it a rest, David. But um, you know what? That reminds me of a story. Okay, that reminds me of a story. So there was this man that he was uh, joining a monastery. He was going to become a monk. And something that he had to do is he had to take a vow of silence. All right? And so the rule here is that every seven years, he was allowed to say only two words. All right? Only two words. So he, he joined up. He served his seven years. He came before the elders, and they allowed him to speak his two words. And he said, cold floors. They're like, okay. They sent him away. He serves another seven years, and he comes back, and he's got two more words. And he said, bad food. And then he goes away. Seven years later, he comes back. And he says, I quit. <laughs> and the elders looked at each other and they looked at him and they said, well, that's no surprise. You've been complaining since you got here. But isn't that too easy to get into that place of griping and complaining? And it's so easy to focus on all of the bad and make ourselves the victims of our own story. It's like the human condition, right? Our, our human condition defaults to negativity. And when some sort of distress hits us, our human condition really comes out. Do you guys ever identify with the words in the, uh, from the great prophet and theologian, John Bon Jovi, and you feel like you're just living on a prayer? You feel like you're just making it? See, that's what happens when, with pressure. With pressure brings out what's really in there. How we handle the pressure says a lot about what we're made of. See, if you add the right amount of heat and pressure to carbon, it becomes a diamond. In fact, it takes uh, 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit, and it takes 725,000 pounds per square inch of pressure to create uh, a diamond from carbon. Now, apply that same amount of heat and pressure to a tomato... <laughs> And it's going to become something, but it's not going to be a diamond. So when pressure is applied to you, what do you become? Maybe you become a hermit and you retreat into yourself. Maybe you become a monster and you lash out at everybody that's around you. Maybe you get really defensive and you, you start um, drifting towards self-preservation. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5, the writer Paul, he writes about this. He was facing pressure from all sides. And he says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts and inside were fears. He's dealing with people coming against him from the outside, but also the fear and the turmoil of life that's trying to work its way out. And see, you're not alone. 
When you feel this pressure and this distress, you're not alone in that. There's other people that are experiencing it too. And I I have to tell you, when you become a Christian, that doesn't mean that it's all going to magically go away. The thing that we have, though, is we do have the Holy Spirit that we can lean into, that we can rely on, and that He's going to help us through every one of our difficulties. And I really believe that each of us can learn to deal with distress in a way that's going to make us better. None of us are going to be perfect. None of us are going to do it right every single time. But if we do it God's way, we are going to grow from it every single time. So I'm going to give you three keys to overcoming distress this morning, okay? And they all start with R because I'm a little Bapticostal. That means um, I was saved in a Baptist church, and so I love alliteration. Alliteration is kind of in my blood, so I'm going to give you three R's today, okay? Pulling from our text, Psalm chapter 143, number one, relax, relax. And now, I'm not, when I say this, I'm not telling you, hey, just relax. You're overreacting. No, because I'm a husband, and I've made this mistake before. Famous last words. Just calm down. (laughs) Husbands, boyfriends, don't say that. It's a trap, okay? No, when I say relax, what I mean is twofold here, okay? Number one, you need to step back from the current situation that you're in, and you need to start meditating on God's Word. You need to meditate on what God says about it. And two, you need to structure your schedule in such a way where you have one day every week that you have intentional, scheduled, spiritual refreshing, a break from life. David said it like this. He said, I meditate on all your works. So growing up, my brother and I, um, we practiced taekwondo. It, you can't tell now, but I was once a little athletic. Um, my brother and I practiced taekwondo, and we got our um, black belts at a relatively young age. And something that you had to do as you were working your way up the, the belt ranks was you had to learn how to break boards. And so with these board breaks, they're like three-quarters of an inch, maybe an, an inch thick. I don't remember. It wasn't like real crazy looking back on it. But to an eight-year-old, it was kind of an insurmountable task, right? And so I learned this trick. That, you know, I'd get, I'd get up to this board and I'd take my stance. And before I, I, I did anything, I would take one breath. I would take a deep breath. And so it was a moment in that breath that I was able to refocus. I was able to step back from the situation. I was able to visualize what I was about to do. And so in that moment, I did that. And, and after that, everything, everything was good. The break went, went fine. I'm sure it went real good every single time. Probably not. But, um, but, okay, so let me show you this morning. Let me show you guys if you can bring um, that board out. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to break a board in here. Did I get you guys? I'm not going to break a board in here this morning, but that would be really awesome if I did, right? I'd probably break myself is what I'd do. But the, the key to me in the success of the break was all about the breath. It was all about the breath. And when we're faced with insurmountable circumstances in our life, we need to take a step back, take a breath. Meditate on God's Word and refocus it in that moment. Remember that you can handle it because God is for you. Because when you fixate on God, He fixes your focus. And so that's what we can do in the moment, right? But there's a real old principle. Um, In fact, it's literally been around since the beginning of the world that you can do to maintain a consistent, fueled, and focused life of peace. 
And in the Christian world, you may hear this referred to as a Sabbath. And um, if you don't know what a Sabbath is, all the Sabbath is, is it's a day that God tells his people to take a day off. Stop working. It's a mandatory day off. So a scheduled Sabbath every week helps us to be proactive in our peace rather than reactive. You can kind of picture it like a bank account, okay? We want to make deposits into this bank account so when it comes time to withdraw, we have something to take from because you do not want those overdraft fees. Can I get an amen? You don't want overdraft fees at all. I'm talking like literal overdraft fees. You don't want those either. Um, And in Genesis 2-2, God gives us our first glimpse of the Sabbath when it says, On the seventh day, God rested. And it wasn't because God needed to rest. It was because God was setting in place a rhythm for us to follow that once a week, we would rest. So here's a pro tip, okay? When you're scheduling your Sabbath, you need to do, one, you need to honor God. And two, you need to do something that recharges you. So, maybe you like to hike. Go hiking. Maybe you like to golf. I don't know, I don't know why you would, but it, maybe you like to golf. Go golfing. Maybe you like to go to the club. Don't go to the club on your Sabbath, okay? It's got, it's got to honor God. Don't go to the club. But make sure that you intentionally schedule this in every single week because if you don't master your schedule, your schedule will master you. So um, it's super easy to get like really legalistic with this and start putting like a lot of rules on it, right? But Jesus said in Mark chapter 2 verse 27 that the Sabbath was not created for man, but man for, or the, the man was not created for the Sabbath, but the, the Sabbath for man. And what he meant was that the Sabbath is not a master for us to serve, it's a tool that's meant to serve us, okay? So... Um, Some of the religious leaders of the day got like real carried away in in Jesus' day. They got real carried away with making a bunch of rules around the Sabbath, things that you couldn't do. I just want to read some of them to you this morning because, honestly, I think they're hilarious, okay? So here's some of the rules that you had. Uh, You couldn't carry a coin around on the Sabbath. You couldn't carry a coin because that gives the illusion that you're going to go and do some work. Uh, Some of you guys would be out of luck on this one. You can't spit on the ground on the Sabbath because it disturbs the dirt, and that constitutes the act of plowing. Um, Ladies, don't get mad. A woman couldn't look into the mirror on the Sabbath day in case she spotted a gray hair and was tempted to pluck it out. And this one is my favorite, okay? There was like a large debate over this one, um, and it's, it's so funny. There was a d- debate as to whether one could lawfully eat an egg laid by a hen on the Sabbath because the hen didn't know it was the Sabbath. <laughs> this gives like a whole new meaning to the chicken and the egg conversation, right? But the Pharisees created loopholes, for themselves and their close friends, okay? Here's some of these loopholes. They're really funny too. So if your house catches on fire during the Sabbath, you couldn't carry your clothes out, but you could put all of them on and wear them out, looking like Joey off of the episode of Friends, like where he puts Chandler's clothes on. And another one, you couldn't travel more than a half a mile away from your house on the Sabbath. And so what they would do was they would go the day before and travel a half mile and they would put enough food for two meals there. And so then that became their home away from home. And so they could travel the half mile and even another half mile after that because they're at their home away from home. 
All that to say, you could get real caught up in the rules of the Sabbath. But here, it's so easy. Just honor God and do something that spiritually recharges you. So we need to relax. We need to step back from the situation, meditate on God's Word, but also be proactive in scheduling once a week your day where you get away from the normal rhythms of life. Number two, number two, reflect. We need to relax, and then we need to reflect. David said it like this in his psalm. He said, I remember the days of long ago. I consider what your hands have done. Just like the song, guys, we've got to hold on to what we've got. We've got to remember how God has been faithful to us in the past. There's a small story in your Bible that doesn't get a lot of attention sometimes when we're glossing over in our Old Testament, but I think this is a really powerful story, and it deserves our attention. It's found in Joshua chapter 4. And so what happens here is the Israelites, they just spent 40 years wandering in the desert because they'd just been freed from Egyptian captivity. If you guys don't know the story, it's a really good one. You need to go ahead and read it. But this is right after, okay? Um, the, the Israelites are ready to cross into the promised land, the, pl- the land that God promised them. But the problem was there was one major obstacle in their way. They had to cross over the Jordan River, And if I've ever learned anything from Oregon Trail, I have learned you do not float that river because you will die every single time. And so the Israelites didn't know how to get over, but God made a way. He stopped the river from flowing. Does anybody, did anybody in here play Oregon Trail? Okay, cool. Just tough crowd. All right, cool. Um, So God just stopped the river from flowing and the Israelites were able to cross over on dry land like They didn't even have to wear their high water robes. Like they just crossed over on dry land. And so God um, gave Joshua a command to have 12 men grab 12 stones from the River Jordan and take them uh, to the place that they would camp out that night. And it was called Gilgal. And we pick up in verse 21. And it says this, And he, talking about Joshua, said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stories mean? Then you shall let your children know, or what do do these stones mean? Excuse me. You shall let your children know that Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. There was some significance. There was some meaning to to the stones. And it was for the sheer purpose that God commanded Joshua to set up a monument because he wanted the people of Israel to remember his faithfulness. See, when we're faced with tough times and tough situations and tough circumstances, God wants us to remember His faithfulness. When we remember God's faithfulness in the past, it is impossible to look on our present situation with any level of hopelessness. Do you need some faith? Remember the last time that God came through for you. Do you need some courage? Remember the last time that God strengthened you to handle a situation. Do you need some hope? Remember the last time that you gave sincere expectation to the thing that God was going to do. Because what you remember, God will replicate. What you remember, God's going to do it again. Let the remembrance of God's faithfulness be the fuel that your soul needs to keep moving forward. So number one, number one, we need to relax. Number two, we need to reflect. 
And number three, we need to reach out. We need to reach out. And David, David says it like this in verse 6. I stretch out my hands to you. I stretch out my hands to you. And you, you may have a picture of this in your mind already, but maybe you don't. Uh, maybe you don't come to church often. You don't even know what the heck this means. Um, this is a picture of worship. And when David talks about stretching out his hands, he's talking about lifting them to the sky. And so maybe like you've, you've gone to church maybe for the first time or, um, or maybe you've switched churches. Maybe it was even this church and you, you stood there during the music and you've wondered, why are people like lifting their hands in the air? And I'll tell you, because when we lift our hands, it's a sign of surrender to God. It's letting God know that He is the centerpiece of our life and that everything that we have revolves around Him. But also, when we lift our hands, it's a signal for help. I mean, think about a baby, right? Like, think about a baby like when it walks up to you um, and he, wa- he wants to be lifted up, right? What does he do? He wants some help. He just raises his hands and you lift him up and you take care of his needs or her. It could be her too. Take care of her needs so, let me tell you about my first encounter with water, okay? It was uh, summertime, and I was real young, and it was in Florida. And so, what do you do in summertime in Florida, because it's real hot? You go swimming at the pool, right? And so, we were at this cookout at a friend's house, and we were all around the pool, and um, I was doing the one thing that they tell you not to do around a pool, I was running around the pool. They say, don't run around the pool. Well, I did it. I ran around the pool, and I took a misstep, and I fell in, and I was like four or five, and I couldn't swim yet, and I fell in, and it was so fast. It was so instantaneous. I didn't have a chance to cry out for help. I didn't have a chance to look around me and see what was going on because in an instant, I was under the water, and I remember this feeling so vividly. I was under the water. Everything was moving in slow motion. I felt so helpless and so out of control. There was nothing that I could do. And then in a moment, an arm plunged itself down and it grabbed me by the back of the shirt and it ripped me up and it set me back onto dry ground. I don't remember even the guy's face, who it was, that I just remember the arm that reached down and it ripped me out of the water. And it rescued me. And as quickly as it happened, it was over. That fast. It seemed like an eternity, but it was that fast. And I was rescued. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're sitting here or maybe you're watching from home and you feel like you're drowning. You felt like you have gone under And there is nothing that you can do about it. You didn't even have a chance to cry out for help. It was that quick that you just went under. Let me tell you this. God is so near to you right now. God is so close to you. And he has positioned himself to be able to rescue you right now in this moment. You don't even have to see his face. Like you don't even have to be crying out for him. 
His arm is still ready to plunge down into the chaos that is your life right now that's circling all around you. He's ready to plunge his arm down and he's ready to pull you right out. He's ready to rescue you this morning. He'll put you on dry ground and he'll keep you there. And as quickly as you felt your life spiral out of control, that's as quick as God can provide everything that you need to make it through. Maybe this morning you listen to this message and you feel like you're far from God. You feel like you're far from God and there's nothing that you can do about it. And I just want to encourage you. There's a verse that I love to read when I'm in uh, times of turmoil, when I feel far from God. And it's in James chapter 4 and verse 8. And it's so simple and it says this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And we're not talking about like if I take one step to God, God's going to take one step to me and we're going to meet in the middle. Because God is not a meet in the middle kind of God. If I take one step, God's going to close the distance the rest of the way because that's the kind of God that he is. And if you draw near to him, he's going to draw near to you. Listen, there's no hope outside of Jesus. There's no hope beyond this life. There's no hope beyond the gift of salvation that Jesus offers to us so freely. But you are never hopeless. You are never hopeless. You may feel like you're, you've done too much. You've gone too far. You've, you've, there's no way that God can accept me. And that is an absolute lie. You are never hopeless because God is so ready to rescue you this morning. Maybe you're in this situation because you caused it. That's okay. God is so full of mercy. He's ready to rescue you this morning. If you take a step, God will close the distance. If you feel like you're drowning under the weight of life, God is ready to rescue you. Listen, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, this morning, I'm going to invite you to do that. And it's very simple. All you have to do is give him control of your life. You just surrender everything to him. And he's going to take care of it. If, you, if you've never done that this morning, I want to invite you to take to do it this morning, right now, in this moment. That, that tug that you feel on your heart right now, whether you're watching from home or you're sitting in this room, that tug that you're feeling on your heart right now, that's God. And he's tugging on your heart because he wants to talk to you. He's inviting you into the family this morning. We like to end our services in prayer. And usually we'll have a, a prayer team up here at the front, but in this time of safe distancing, it's going to look a little bit different, okay? So if you're in this room, if you go out the doors to your rear, you're going to see that prayer stations are set up. There's going to be people out there that are ready to pray for you. No matter what you need, share as much or as little as you feel comfortable sharing. If you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, let them know and they will pray with you. And they'll, they'll, they'll help you along what's next. And also, if you're watching online, 
and you need prayer, we have people there for you too. I'm going to invite you to go to vineyardrichmond.com. Click on the little green chat button in the bottom right corner. And we have members of our prayer team that are standing there uh, or that are sitting there and they're ready to pray for you and interact with you this morning. If you want to give your life to Jesus, they are ready for you this morning. If you need prayer for any kind of circumstance, any kind of chaos that's happening in your life or anything else, people are, are ready to pray for you this morning. So at any point during this last song, you're welcome to do that. Let's come to our feet as we sing.